0: The welcome and for those who've led us in worship. So as as was hinted at just now, Frances, my wife, who's here with me today, and and myself, we both finished our full-time employment last year, Frances at the end of April, and I finished as uh, minister in Shirley Baptist Church at the end of June. Uh, At that time, we were living in a house that belonged to the church, so we had to leave there at the same time, and uh, have moved temporarily to Worcester into a house that uh, we had previously bought some years ago, and uh, we're still waiting to find our more permanent home for retirement. So it was all a bit dramatic last summer. A bit of a cliffhanger. Everything stopped and everything changed all at the same time. But of course, it gave us the immense gift of time and the freedom to catch up on seeing family and friends across the country that uh, so often we'd failed to do when life was incredibly busy in those pre retirement years. We've enjoyed walking a lot. Uh, we've locally on the Malvern Hills, which is just up the road from where we are, and uh, then a bit further into the southwest of the country, which is where our son and their family live, our grandchildren are there, and, uh, and also up in the Lake District which is another area that we love very much. So while I was minister at Shirley Baptist Church, that was obviously the, the main bulk of my work, but a little amount of my time was devoted as pastoral placement tutor at Regent's Park College, uh, in which I was uh, supporting a number of ministers in training, including, of course, Dave Tubby when he was here. Uh, that goes back a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, but I'm continuing that ministry uh, uh, at Regents, and just now beginning to pick up a little bit more in the way of ministry related a- activity, offering pastoral supervision to a few ministers and uh, today today, I am preaching my first sermon since I retired. <laughs> so I kind of feel like i 'm standing here with my L plates on you know i 'm not quite sure how to do this haven 't done it for such a long while. Uh, it all just feels a little bit strange um, And apologies for the bits of paper. You know, I never quite got into preaching from iPads and phones. Uh, You never know, it might come one day as I continue to explore new things. But uh, I want to say that I'm especially pleased to be with you today. As a congregation, you've been very much in my thoughts and prayers for the whole time that I was minister at Shirley. I greatly enjoyed warm fellowship with uh, Howard in the earlier years, with Tim, with Bernice, uh, i with many of you in the congregation, some of whom, of course, I know very well. And if I were to pick out names here and there, it could be a bit dangerous because I'll miss someone out who I also know very well. But uh, uh, just delighted to be able to connect with you again today and have been especially conscious of the challenges that uh, you have faced as uh, having an extended time of pastoral vacancy. And when we moved into settlement at Shirley, We often prayed for you here because it just felt particularly pertinent as we were going through that time that uh, you were as well and had been already for several years. So that's a rather long introduction, but I kind of wanted you to feel that I was coming today uh, not just as a guest speaker, but as a friend, someone who cares deeply about the well-being of your congregation here, uh, and someone who's just beginning to pick up some new areas of ministry, as well as enjoying the freedom, so enjoying the freedom and the space that retirement gives to us. So we're looking at 1 Peter 1 uh, this morning, verses 10 to 21. What a great passage. The whole of 1 Peter 1 is a fantastic start to this important letter. I'm not going to take time to talk about the background of this letter. You're following it as a series Uh, Through these coming weeks, I'm sure that uh, many others from time to time will give you snippets of the background. I want to jump straight in and uh, to focus on two key thoughts today. Uh, The first is the salvation that we receive, and the second is the lifestyle that we adopt. Something about the salvation that we receive and something about the lifestyle that we adopt. Maybe we can backtrack a little bit into the earlier part of one peter just for a moment because uh, the theme of salvation runs all the way through this opening part of the letter and if we go back to verse three this wonderful doxology blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ by his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead this is amazing this is the essence of our salvation that we have been saved from sin, we've been saved by Jesus, we've been saved through faith, and we've been saved for a new life. Uh, And this letter opens with an outburst of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God had a bigger plan for this world, and it was made known in Jesus. And we've discovered that. And for those of us who are believers today, That is something very real and very deep. Verse 5 talks about that salvation, which is ultimately to be revealed at the end of time, as if there's something future yet to be discovered about the fullness of our salvation. But then verses 8 and 9 talk about that salvation in the present time, that you love him now, you believe in him now, you are joyful now, because here and now, you are receiving God's salvation through your faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a big word and it's a big concept. It takes in both God's side with his great salvation plan brought to fruition in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it takes in our part with our need for repentance, of turning away from what is wrong, of believing in Jesus Christ and experiencing new life. Salvation crosses the boundaries of time. It's in the past, but it's also in the present, but it's also in the future. And all of that is wrapped up together in this amazing work of God, which we receive by grace. I wonder, how was your Christmas? It wasn't that long ago, was it? Do you remember it? Uh, I hope it was good. We have all these expectations for Christmas, don't we? We look forward to what is going to happen. We prepare for it. Uh, And then often it works out well. Sometimes it doesn't work out quite so well. We've had great Christmases in our life. Uh, This one just gone probably doesn't rank as the best. Uh, Unfortunately... Both I and our daughter, Sarah, who is living uh, with us at the moment, uh, both tested positive for COVID about three days before. Uh, Sarah came out first, and then uh, the red line came on my test the next day. Didn't feel too bad for day one, but then days two and three really weren't particularly good. Uh, Got to Christmas Eve, and I began to feel a little bit better but was there sort of stuck in our bedroom um, mm. and uh, not really able to do very much at all. So I listened to the Nine Lessons and Carols from King's College, Cambridge. Many of you will be familiar with that, I'm sure. It's, it's been part of uh, the Christian tradition for so many years and uh, it's a very traditional Carol service was very beautifully presented by the choir at King's College, Cambridge. Uh, In earlier years, it was just on radio, now, of course, it's televised and and you can watch it as well. So, I think because I wasn't able to do anything else and couldn't go anywhere, uh, I listened with a little bit more intention this year to that program and got to the first reading. And the first reading in the nine lessons and carols is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord saying, Adam, where are you? And he was hiding because he was afraid because he knew he'd done something that was wrong. And it really struck me, you know, that the whole Christmas story starts there. It starts with what has gone wrong in this world of ours and particularly what has gone wrong with humankind and the next reading is the call of abraham and and god beginning to work through a nation and then the next reading is from the prophets one prophet and then another prophet eventually you get to the christmas story and i think previously when i've listened to nine lessons of carols i kind of Just only half listened to the first part because I thought, "Come on, let's let's get to the point where Jesus is born. That's what Christmas is all about." But actually, this year I really took notice of those early readings, because you need the whole story of redemption, and salvation is not just about Jesus being born as a baby, living a life, and dying on a cross. That is part of it, but the whole salvation story is so much bigger. And it starts from when Adam and Eve failed in that garden. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And out of that, we begin to see that God was at work from the very beginning in finding a better way for this world that he has created. And his salvation plan began to be worked out through the, initially through the nation Israel and then, of course, supremely in the coming of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. We are saved from sin. We're saved by grace. We're saved through Jesus, and we are saved to search this huge story of salvation. How much does this really mean to you today? You've heard it before. You've heard it many, many times, I'm sure. But how much does it really mean to you? This is what God has done. The grace of Christ. That he has treated us not as we deserve, but out of a heart of unfailing love from God the Father. The sufferings of Christ, so deep, so agonizing, so indescribably painful in order to secure new life for us, the glory of Christ, that he was raised on the highest place of all, that he's given the spirit to us who lives and dwells within us now, all leading to a transformed life today. I'm sure you've come across the acronym of GRACE, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. Christ has done so much for us. The salvation we receive is part of God's huge salvation plan. And he draws you into it this morning. He draws me into it this morning. And this is truly amazing. Now let's take a closer look at verses 10 to 12 in our passage. And I have to say that if I was preaching a series on 1 Peter I'd be very tempted to miss this bit out because it's a little bit obscure, but it's very important. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry. Those prophets inquired and searched diligently about it. They didn't know the fullness of what God's plan was. And yet something was in their heart that made them feel this was all important. And they applied all of their life and energy to try and understand it. They wrestled in their minds. They sought in their hearts to understand as much as they possibly could about what God was purposing in the salvation of the world. So many examples of that from the prophets. Daniel 7 and verse 28. Daniel writes, My thoughts greatly terrified me, and my face turned pale. That was his response to the vision that he'd received and its interpretation. His whole life was being profoundly affected by what he was seeing and hearing. And that's not just true of Daniel. It would be true of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of all of the prophets. Their whole lives were wrapped up in this whole business of trying to discover what was God's salvation story. Sometimes we think that the prophets were just people who heard something from God, who spoke it out, wrote it down, and then carried on with their lives as if nothing else had happened. Not at all. They were caught up in the mystery of what God was doing in the world at their time and what would happen at a later time. And we need to be similarly engaged with the story of salvation. We know so much more than the Old Testament prophets, but we still have to wrestle to see how God is working across the world today amid suffering, war, climate warming, and so on. I mean, the news today, isn't it heartbreaking? That shooting in London yesterday. The... uh Rockets from Russia that have uh, fired onto a housing community uh, in Ukraine and uh, bodies at this moment being pulled out from the wreckage, desperate search for people who are still alive. We live in a broken, tragic world. And yet God has a great salvation story that he's given to us. And the prophets wrestled to understand it in the darkness of their age. Peter encouraged his readers to wrestle to understand it in the first century when persecution was increasing on those early believers. And they were beginning to wonder, how do we live out this newfound faith in the world today? And we're in exactly the same place today. The message of salvation is indeed good news for the whole world but it needs our full attention. And for those of us who live as believers today, who've received that great gift of new life in Jesus, we continue to wrestle with what this really means for us and for others. How the mighty deeds of the living God might be seen and known more widely in the world today. How the salvation story and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ will be experienced more and more and more. As many people, come to faith and there are exciting faith stories across the world there are those who are wonderfully coming to faith there are churches that are exploding into new life did you see there was a news article on bbc news was it just yesterday about the rapid expansion of the church in nepal uh, encouraged particularly by believers from south korea and there are many other stories over the global growth of the church of christ today As well as the prophets wrestling and engaging fully in this salvation story, we have also in verses 10 to 12 a hint of the angels. These are things which the angels long to look into. I'd love to have had more time to explore something about the angels. They are so special. And with Christmas not far behind us, I'm sure that you'll recall the angels' message to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. And then with the appearance of the angel in Matthew's account of the Easter story. And Peter himself had a first-hand experience of an angel releasing him from prison in Jerusalem. The story that's told in Acts 12. Many in- indications of angels in these key moments at that critical time as the salvation story of God was unfolded when Jesus lived and died and rose again. Angels were a strategic part of God's salvation plan, bringing the good news of what was happening to those who needed to know. But Peter's reflection here in 1 Peter is that even the angels longed to see and to understand the whole of God's salvation story. And incidentally, Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 10 writes about how the fullness of the wisdom of God might be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, as if the angels might actually learn something from us about God's salvation. There's a thought that would take another whole sermon to try and unpack. But there's a reference, therefore, to prophets and to angels. And all of that, to me, underlines the immensity of this gift of salvation. That God is not just offering Jesus to us. He's saying to us, you need to really get to grips with this great big story of what God has done in the world today. And just as the prophets wrestled with it, just as the angels longed to understand it, we need to receive and fully appreciate God's amazing gift of salvation. Let me go on to a few words about the lifestyle that we adopt. And there's so much that I could say, but just touching very briefly on some of the thoughts from verses 13 onwards in this passage. We come at the beginning of verse 13 to a therefore. And therefore means that in view of all that has gone before, This is what you must do. And that's why I've taken time to to tell you what's gone before. In view of what's gone before, in view of what's been written before in this chapter, in view of God's big salvation story, this is what you must do. The lifestyle you and I adopt is based entirely on the salvation that we receive. Based on that amazing gift. We're called to live differently today. We're called to live with minds alert to the spiritual dimension in the whole of our life. That's in verse 13. We're called to have a disciplined approach to life, not drifting through, but remaining focused on the present and full of hope for the future. And probably what stands out the most in these words is that we're called to holy living. Not holding on to the kind of things that used to be important before you were a Christian but reflecting on the qualities of God himself, his holiness, and his love, and living in a way which is reflecting the beauty of Jesus. Based, of course, on the Old Testament words of Exodus 19, Indeed, the whole earth is mine, says the Lord, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. And Peter says to his readers, You too must be holy. And the Lord says to us today, You too must be holy. The idea of living differently, living distinctively, living the Jesus way. It's worked out, of course, in all aspects of daily life it's words and deeds, it's the use of time and money, skills it's to do with our behaviour in both in close relationships and in the wider community it's to do with our active response to the lonely the poor the marginalized and our meaningful engagement with these larger challenges of our time holiness touches on absolutely everything in our lives and the challenge of holy living is carried on into verse 17 with a phrase that I find especially interesting. It may not grab you at first, but in verse 17, if you invoke, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version, almost the same as the NIV, if you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, listen to this, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. I think the NIV says live in reverent fear as strangers in the land I looked at the message paraphrase of that and it says this your life is a journey which you must travel with a deep consciousness of God a journey that you must travel with a deep consciousness of God this is holy living the idea of exile is simply that for the Christian our true home is in heaven So life on earth is a way towards something better. The present time is likened to the exile which comes before the restoration in our true home in heaven. But it's a journey with a deep consciousness of God. Which I think is a good interpretation of the words reverent fear. It's not that we're afraid of God, but we're deeply conscious of the presence of God. So how can you and I be deeply conscious of the presence and the power of God each and every day in living a life that is holy and is pleasing to him? How can that holiness and purity affect all that we're doing? I think we need to remember what we've already considered from this passage. Constantly celebrating the wonder of our salvation, embracing its past, present, and future dimensions, dwelling on the goodness and the faithfulness of God, reading and absorbing the promises of God, taking the attitude of the prophets and the angels who long to know more about what God is doing. Never think you know it all. We're at the beginning of our understanding of God's great salvation story. Now, I'm sure you will all have different routes to living and traveling with a deep consciousness of God something that uh, Francis and I did the week before last that was refreshingly different. I happened to be looking at the website of Worcester Cathedral. Uh, I wanted to check out they were open. Uh, It was the week after Christmas. They'd still got a huge Christmas tree display from all of the charities and organizations and schools in the city. And as newcomers to the city, we thought it'd be good to have a look at that. So we were checking in on their website and found the live stream from that morning's communion. Uh, So we stayed with it and we watched all the way through. It was about 15 minutes. It was a beautiful service. Just very straightforward reading of scripture, taking us into uh, engaging with the bread and the wine uh, and the blessing that followed. And then later in the day, we actually went into the cathedral to have a look at the Christmas trees. Uh, And I inquired uh, of the the staff that were welcoming us. I said, do you know where the live stream took place this morning for communion? We watched it online Uh, and they confirmed that it was in one of the little chapels, as I thought it was from what I'd seen on the screen. Uh, And then he went on to say, actually, what happens is that communion is celebrated every morning in the cathedral, and they work around the different chapels, because there are lots of small chapels in the cathedral, as well as the the huge central area. Uh, And they go around the different chapels each morning and take their live stream equipment with them and record and live stream communion each day. It's fascinating to understand that, and I'm sure that we'll be joining in that devotional experience again from time to time. Back in the summer, we spent three days early in our retirement on a prayer walk, seeking God for how we should use the next chapter of our lives. And now every Wednesday, where possible, we go for a longer walk. And only this last week on our walk, we stopped along the way to pray. And somehow being in open spaces and enjoying the beauty of God's creation provides a great conscious, uh, context for nurturing an awareness of God. The context for Peter's early readers was one of increasing hardship and suffering. But they were being challenged to live distinctively, to live attractively, to live in holiness, to live with a deep consciousness of the presence of God. I urge you to find those ways to become deeply aware of God's presence day by day in whatever form that devotional life might take, to sustain and nurture that and to allow that to challenge the way that you're living, the words that you're saying, the deeds that you are taking up each and every day, that that life of holiness, of beauty, of purity, will be evident. But then notice how this paragraph in 1 Peter comes to a conclusion we're finishing at verse 21 verses 18 to 21 the last section almost takes us in a complete circle that after a challenge about living holy knives about journeying with a deep consciousness of the presence of God Peter takes us back to the story of the salvation that we receive You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you've come to trust in God, who, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set in God. Those words are echoing the words much earlier on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I think that's very important. Because what that is saying is that the call to holiness and godly living, which is at the heart of this passage is encircled by the gift of salvation. And if you don't, I mean, you might forget absolutely everything I've said this morning, and that's okay. I, I do recognize that the retention power of people in, in sermons is pretty small. But can you remember this bit? That the more you grasp of what God has done for you in the story of salvation, the more you will be able to live a life that is worthy of him. May that be so. Amen.